Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What will the NBA draft look like in the future? Is tanking good for the NBA? How should we decide who gets into the Hall of Fame? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast, Friday edition. Today we have James Hollis with us, Naughty Drippin' on Twitter. Uh, usually, usually he's coming to us on a Wednesday, but you know what? The whole week has gotten screwy because of the damn Labor Day uh, thing. So we're here. We're ready. I think you are. Are you ready, James? I'm ready. Let's roll. I was trying to look up something, but I'm good. I'll stop. Hey, look up. Click away. While we're while I'm you know while I'm talking, you can click now. Uh, I think we decided we were going to talk about to start off with is the new proposal for uh, the um, NBA draft, which has always sort of been a sore spot for a lot of NBA fans and people because of the tanking issue that we saw uh, the Sixers do so well. Um, what are your thoughts? Anything jumping out at you right now about how they want to structure this? Uh, so as somebody who was a big proponent of what Philly did, I, I love the uh, I love the process because guess what? With the current rules in place, they play by the rules. You, do, you don't have to like it, but they didn't do anything illegal. I do understand what the problem, uh, you know, it, it is your game in the system when you do what Philly did for three, four seasons. And now they're trying to uh, they're trying to deal with that. And that makes sense. Uh, as long as they make overarching changes. And my problem with the draft system is when you think about it, what other what other profession do you go to college and you excel and you do well and when you come out of the top of your class, you're locked in. They say you go work for IBM for four years. That's where you're going. You're going to go to Idaho and work at this company for four years. And you could hate Idaho. You could hate potatoes. But you're going. Right. Right. And it's in a free in a free market society, which we you know we pride ourselves on being. The draft lottery is kind of uh, it's kind of draconian, right? Right. So, well, I mean, it sounds in that analogy, everybody's working for IBM, no matter what. It's just a question of you're going to Idaho or you're going to Miami. Okay, however you want to say it. Yeah, there's different <laughs> divisions of the same company, right? So you yeah. need to go to. So uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to be right. You know, if you if you graduate as a doctor in the top of your class, you get to pick where you go. You don't get forced to go somewhere. But I do understand that. The young players going to Los Angeles and New York, and that's not right either because then you'd have super teams every year, you know, in Miami and in the best place that everyone want to go. So, um, yeah, I'm all I'm all for some kind of revamping of the lottery system. I'm just not sure the best way to go. Uh, and I you know me and you both just glanced over the proposal they're talking about now where they're going to de-incentivize the tanking where, you know, you don't have the strongest odds if you have the worst record. So I'm all for that because, I mean, uh that way you'd have you still have tiers of if you're a bad team, you're a bad team. You'll have better odds to get the young guy. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. change the fact of what I was talking about as far as, you know, you're, you're forcing guys to go a place they might not want to. But it, it does make it a little make for maybe a little more parity in the league. Yeah. And I think that's sort of always been the, the goal of these leagues across all the sports is to have enough competition 
Uh, because again, like if you were the Sixers and all of a sudden you realize that LeBron James is coming to Cleveland, uh, or even if it's in Miami, you're, you know, you're not going to compete for a championship in theory, uh, right? The way that's happened, and certainly that's that he's gone to however many straight finals. So I, I can almost understand, yeah, well then what's, why would we be trying to be a second-tier team or, or just kind of middle along without the chance for stars? So, so I understand the reason why you want to take – I mean, the other problem you have, though, is that four years of losing can drastically change your market. Uh, in theory, you could you could tr- turn the city against you in some weird way. Um, I would argue, though, because uh, I think there's an argument there, but I would also argue that our our can I swear? Yeah, uh, yeah of course you can. OK, I mean, it's, it's my your podcast. show. Fuck it. Yeah, uh, I just think that the humans and the Americans in particular has, has such fucking terrible memories that like you start winning a little bit that next year after four years of losing and they're going to just forget all about that tanking. You know what? I'll say this. The Knicks were terrible for about a decade. They had two good years. Knicks fans are on top of the world. Yeah. And by the way, Lakers fans are going to be, are going to be the, oh, my God, they're going to be the exact, exact same, same way. way. Yeah. So, so my thing about that is, uh, like, Philly. Philly fans are on top of the world right now. So, I mean, it's, it's yeah, they lost for a couple of years, but they, they had a plan in place. And it, it, I think as they're executing it, all is forgiven. So, yeah, uh, fans have a short memory. Um I do understand. And my other argument I heard was that uh, when you're bad for a couple of years tanking, the players are going to ruin the players. I don't see any of those Philly players. You know, Robert Covington has become a starter. Uh, they've, they've, the, the, I, well, he was just a bad pick. He was okay. just a bad pick. I don't think loser ruined him. I think just being, being a throwback center in a modern NBA kind of ruined him. I, okay. I, I'm not, right? I mean, it sounds like there's a, it's a combo, right? There's something going on there off court that's, uh, you know, a problem. It sounded like a little bit, right? Oh, well, I mean, they drafted him high as heck, and then he started coming off the bench. I think that was it. You know, sure, he didn't have fun losing, but, I mean, he got supplanted by better players. Yeah. You know? And you know that what? Was- You're right. You can sell the – this is the dream, and, you know, we might have a year or two, whatever it is, and, and you know, but we're going to take care of you. We're going to train you. I mean, I-, I could see it's tough, and, you know, Brett Brown, that's probably why they really needed to choose him uh, uh, specifically uh, as a coach because, yeah, you're going to endure that, and you have a screamer and a yeller. You know, P.J. Carlissimo would not have been the coach to, to do this, right? Like, you have to have a specific coach and the whole thing. So, so I get it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. There was a moment in, maybe in the middle of all this, after the year two, where I started to feel like this is going to have a, be a problem for their culture. Um, but I, I guess we, I, you don't think that's an issue now. I mean, from all I've seen from Philly, all the players are happy. They're taking pictures on Instagram together. They're working out together. They seem to be a bunch of really good young kids. Um, the yeah. training staff is like cutting edge. They have all the top of the line equipment, and they're using top of the line methods. Everybody seems to be, you know, it's weird how all the injuries happen, but you know, everyone seems to be. I guess my only thing is again, executing the plan in Philly was, why would you draft three yeah. big men back to back to back like that? That is the problem there. That was a poor execution of the plan. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. We'll never see it again, right? And that's what they're trying to legislate away from the league. So. Okay. Yeah, um, and, and I'm not I'm not opposed to that. And really quickly, just to kind of go over what this new proposal is, at least part of it would be that they would even out the odds of the worst three teams. So all of a sudden, even if you tank wildly and you have the worst record by five games, you're still going to be tied with the odds of the other two teams behind you. Now, see, here's the thing about that. If if you're in a strong draft, wouldn't those other two teams now? Now instead of having one team saying, oh, we're going to be the worst, now you got three teams, and then maybe the two teams right above them would say, we want to be down there with those, those bottom three. 
So it seems like almost in a way it would almost incentivize losing still. You know what I mean? You, you want to open it up, right, where you want to, you know, because it's not just getting the worst record for the number one pick. It's just getting the third worst record. So, so right, so that's the kind of key. You want to be just bad enough to get in the bottom three, right, but not the bottom right. – not the worst. Uh, and by the way, if you're bottom, if you're the worst, the fifth worst team, then you're only a few points away from the top three. So they've really bunched that up, which is supposed to de-incentivize. But in reality, you're right. You could kind of be like, well, all right, we'll just sort of get to that fifth worst uh, record and then and then kind of hover there. Although I guess that's maybe too tricky to do in reality. But um, I, I get it. I, I see where they're going with that, and I, I suspect it'll, it'll it will take away a little of the issue that we have now, right? It does seem like it, it might, you know, thwart some of what's going on. So I'm going to ask you, do you think tanking is like a huge problem? I didn't think it was a big problem. I, I just assumed that, uh, like, this offseason to me was great because so many teams try to get better. And sure, there's other teams like Atlanta, Chicago, Orlando. They're still wallowing around in the, in the, in the basement of the league. But even they, when they added those players like uh, uh, Jonathan Isaac and Orlando, that's, that's excitement. You know, Orlando got that young kid. Uh, is it Collins? John Collins? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's an exciting young player, and I think he's gonna be he's gonna be really good. And they still have Dennis Schroeder. So I get it. I know that. We, but there's also gonna be there's gonna be levels of 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 uh, levels of distinction in the NBA. There's gonna right. be bad teams. And don't forget about good. DeAndre Bembry of the Hawks, who I just was on court with not a little while ago, but just finally released the video and a really cool one where we're on the court together talking about stuff. So he's gonna get a big shot to do some stuff. Um, Love that kid. So yeah, I like him too. I mean, I, I you know, he's, if he can get a, a three point shot working, then he you know he'd be more of a threat. And uh, and he but he knows how to play, and he's a great kid. So looking forward to him. He's going to get a, a really legitimate shot at playing time, which is great. And there's something else you should be giving a legitimate shot at. Bombfell, an easier way for men to get better clothing. It's as simple as completing a questionnaire, which then gets you matched up with your very own dedicated personal stylist. I'm not saying you're going to be friends with them, but you're going to want to be when you see how well they match the clothes with your personal taste. When you sign up, you pay nothing. You only pay for the clothes you keep, free shipping and returns, and you can preview the clothes your stylist picked out for you before they send them. I'm literally wearing an awesome button-down shirt that Bombfell delivered right to my door. It's really soft, very high quality, makes me look thin, and it fits me like a ball swishes in the net. Well, you get the idea. And it doesn't stop there. Go to bombfell.com slash coachnick. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash coachnick. And you'll get 25 bucks off your first purchase. Imagine going to the mall to shop for clothes. Now, imagine sitting on your couch with the game on and your feet up to shop for clothes. It's completely flexible. You decide how often you'll receive clothes, and you can pause or cancel at any time. You only pay for the clothes you keep, and they never charge above retail price. My favorite part is trying on all the clothes for my wife, and we do it just like a cheesy 80s montage, right down to the big thumbs up from her when she likes what Bombfell sent. So head over to bombfell.com slash coachnick, save 25 bucks on your first purchase, and start strutting down the street in some serious style. Plus, this is one of the best taglines I've ever heard. Check it out. Bombfell. Open and clothes. Now, but uh, yeah, hey, so... Quick hot take. Quick hot take. Yes. I don't think Atlanta's, Atlanta's going to be bad very long because I love the fact DeAndre Bembry and Tarion Prince are those long, switchy kind of versatile players. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder went point for point with John Wall in the playoffs. 
He's not John Wall. I understand that. He's not the defender, but he's going to be a good young player. And then this John Collins kid. So I think Atlanta has a decent young, uh, young framework, at least, of, of, of exciting players. Yeah, no, that's not the hottest take I've heard. And I think that Schroeder, it was important for him to, like, is that his first as a starter in the playoffs, like going toe-to-toe with John Wall? That's his first real getting his feet wet. So, yeah, like, that's just going to help him get confidence and get experience and move on. You know, we'll see. You know, you're right, because he could – he could be that like Dragic guy who's you know running fast breaks and really causing problems on offense for uh, or on the other team's defense. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, and you're right; those other guys are, are going to be really fun to watch uh, with Budenholzer. So uh, yes, and uh, but and then but to get back to your point, which I'm now forgetting because we're talking about the Hawks, but. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Well, we do know as far as do I disagree or not disagree with, with the tanking is so we don't really disagree, I don't think, from a, from a strategic standpoint. Um, I, I think, I mean, it made sense the way the rules were set up. However, and, and I don't think that we're thinking that it's caused irreparable damage to the fan base. So that's not the issue either. Um, you know, so I suppose, yeah. Now, the only problem you have is, is that, you know, any, any game after like January, there's simply no one who's going to want to watch the teams play. And that, that's probably the issue that Adam Silver, I would imagine, has. Because, you know, you know, you get into like January, February, it's like, I don't want to watch a Magic game. I, I haven't wa- To be honest, I haven't seen many of those teams because their records are so bad. Uh, I, I guess that's when the marquee teams come in, though, right? Because Orlando is going to play the Cavs. They're going to, you know, they're going to play the Golden State Warriors in March, you know? So, right. So, I mean, and by the way, so when the Warriors play them, you tune them in because you think that, you know, you're going to see Clay go off for 72, right? Exactly. Yeah. Geez, that's an interesting way of selling it. But okay. Uh, yeah. You know, and there's less of that. It seems like, you know, as we're moving forward, it felt about like there was more of that, like, three or four years ago. That's anecdotal to me, but it's still, you know, it does seem like there's more intrigue going on around the league. And, and by the way, the league is just going to continue to get better. At some point, I have to imagine, as players get better, right, we're, like, training better. They're learning more different fundamentals that will help them achieve more on the court. In mm-hmm. theory, we are going to in- just increase the number of great players that exist in the world, and then that will increase the number of great players that are in the NBA, right? So eventually, you, you just won't have, like, you know, every team should have a couple guys that are legit stars. I mean, we're almost there now. I mean, this is one of the golden ages in the NBA. Like, look at it. Steph Curry is an all-timer. LeBron James, uh, Kevin Durant, you know, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul. We have, we have like, James a, a, real, a guy like James Harden, Kawhi Leonard. Then you got guys, second-tier guys who people still want to come see. Paul, uh, Paul George, you know, Jimmy Butler. This, the league is really in a good place right now. I think Kyrie Irving is is a, is a superstar people want to see. You know, I know he's not a superstar player, but like you said, he's a he's a box office superstar. So, uh, yeah, the league. Is- <laughs> oh, are you parsing my words now? No, no. Okay, I'm sorry, but my point is he's not. LeBron James, but people pay to see Kyrie Irving. Right, my, so, that's my so, right, which kind of like I kind of puts him in the superstar uh, category to me. But uh, if you say so, yeah, all right. <laughs> right. So, uh, and man, the Kawhi Leonard fans are on me on that one. But um, I, <laughs> let, and, and by the way, I've seen the commercials. I now watch like the whole string of commercials for this. This uh, there's something in San Antonio. H- there's HEB. Yeah, HEB. And yeah. for a while there, I couldn't understand what it was because uh, how do they have these different all these different products? And they realized it's a supermarket, and not just like you know, whatever. Uh, and they're good. And he's, he's, you know, he just doesn't really, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have it as much as like Manu and Tim Duncan even had a couple of great lines in that. So nonetheless. Um, so, uh, but the other thing we could talk about as far as the, um, the draft and how they want to restructure it is that you can also drop down farther. So uh, the number one, the worst record could actually go down as far as the 
fifth pick, whereas before they were guaranteed a top three. And then after that, if you're the second worst record, you could go as low as sixth. Now, that's another layer, I think, that also tries to you know mitigate people trying to tank, wouldn't you say? It does, and because I mean now, now the 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 odds are, are you know it, the, the stakes are a little higher if you don't make it right. Before it was like, okay, we're going to believe this top four. Now it's it it makes it for that general manager. Now it's you know you're talking about the difference between picking a superstar and getting a good role player maybe. So, um, yeah, man, I I don't know. I, I I'm all for the I, I don't I have no problem with reform. You know, re- with reform because that's good. They we can't just stay static in, in what we're doing with the NBA. Yeah. I just don't – I don't hope they're not making changes for the sake of making changes. That's true. Yeah. But it does feel like there's something there that they're on the right track and they'll have to vote on it anyway. So it's not like this is gonna, it's going to happen just because they snap their fingers. Uh, and also, no team can get a top three pick in consecutive years. That is a little bit harsh uh, to me for some reason. I don't know why it jumped out at me. I almost feel like give them, give them maybe two years in a row just if it happens that way and then no, no more than that. But for some reason, you know, I don't know. I feel like you should, get, you should be able to at least get two years in a row of a top three pick. Um, how about if you get two or three years in a row a top three pick, they make you relieve your general manager. That's what they should do probably. Because if you're not that good a general manager, then go ahead and just get them out of there. No, that's – I, it's it's a lot of these rules they put in place are trying to they're trying to protect owners from themselves, right? As far as they make kids go to college, so those kids don't. Some of those kids don't give a damn about college, right? They just, they go because they have to go. Yeah. That's fine. So, right? so just, are, are you the guy that wants to fire the teacher because the standardized test scores are low? No, well, if the teachers. Not, I want them fired because if all their if all their if all their students are failing the class, then fire them. You know, okay, they're not a right. good teacher. Not good team. So uh, look, we we look look what uh, Billy King did to the Nets. All right, he shouldn't have had a job probably for a long time. Yeah, although you can argue that it was you know maybe the owner getting involved and making him do those deals. I think I don't know, but that, that's that's true too. But, but no, by the way, true. which is probably good to get the hell out of there if that's what's going to happen. Because if you can't do your job anyway, why you're there? Um, so it's a lot of different things. Uh, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You know, the as a former teacher, you know, I, I the interesting thing about that is that like. Then you kind of what, what I don't like about the notion of like he'll get fired if he they get two consecutive picks uh, high picks is that then they'll start bringing in these like 34, 35 year old you know like big men who can kind of like grab a rebound and whatever um, rather than let that guy be a twenty one year old a high energy guy who can learn on You're the right. job. You're right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know why that frustrates me so much. But it, and it, was, it doesn't happen as much now. But like the Kurt Thomases of the world. But when they were like stringing out their careers the last like three or four years, it just felt like they're, you know, it's like, it's like when Donald Sutherland does a voiceover commercial, you know, it's like, let's, let somebody else make a little money, man. Another actor who's got a great voice because you've been doing it for 65 years, right? Like let somebody else do a freaking commercial, <laughs> you know, Kurt Thomas, no, I- like, I don't want to see you as a 37 year old big man wandering out there for 20 minutes. I'm with you. I love the fact that we have a lot of new blood coming in the NBA, and I respect the legends. I respect them. I love the fact that we had guys like Kobe at his tour and Paul Pierce. But you know what? It's time for the new guys to step in and make and be, make a name for themselves. Yeah, which is why, by the way, it connects somewhat to my hot take about Gary Payton because Gary Payton, and it's a great segue to the Hall of Fame. You know, Gary Payton got in the Hall of Fame, and it's an interesting uh, argument because um, to me, I didn't think. 
like his prime necessarily married to the Hall of Fame, even though we don't have any criteria what's supposed to be the Hall of Fame or not, so it's not clear to me. So I never really – okay, uh, we'll, we'll get into this for a second, shall we? I, I don't – I never really – didn't, he didn't grab me as like a Hall of Famer. Now, you look at his career. He won a title in Miami, and he got all these like, you know, these, these points for like longevity, for like, career points and all that stuff. Um, but, okay, so, okay, you know, and, and here's what's weird. Why I'm not valuing the fact that he was probably like the best perimeter defender of his generation. We should value that, Right. But yes. I guess I, I kind of go to the offensive side where, like, he, he, wasn't, he couldn't really shoot. Uh, he passed fine. Uh, he dribbled okay. He could post up smaller guys. So, to me, it was, like, offensively. Like, and, and here's my other thing, I, and I said this before in the podcast with other people, where when I, if I walk away from watching a game and I say on the way to the parking lot, man, I just saw a Hall of Famer. Like, that's my criteria. Well, that was never Gary Payton. It was his other teammate, Sean Kemp. That was the guy you'd walk away saying, Jesus, I just saw a Hall of Famer. You well, know see, I mean? that's almost like saying – that's like you're saying Jason Kidd's not a Hall of Famer, but Amari Stardemeyer should be. That's going, you're going for the flash and sizzle. You know what I mean? No, well, no. Well, Jason Kidd was better on offense than Gary Payton. No, he was not. Oh. What are we talking here? I mean, well, Jason – I would say Jason Kidd was his equal on defense. And was was like he? Uh, do, have we forgotten how good Jason Kidd was in those in those New Jersey years? No, I love the. Hey, I'm. I think Jason Kidd's almost criminally underrated when people are already try to say that Chris Paul is better than him all time. That that kind of irks right. me. Just, but Gary Payton, look from 1994 to 2003, we're talking what 10, 10, 10 seasons. The guy averaged 20 points, eight assists, and you know, two steals a game. You're saying he couldn't really shoot, and I get it. He wasn't a jump shooter. He wasn't a great shooter at all. He shot 32% from three. I'm not going to just do this thing reading stats. I mean, he, the guy averaged 20 and eight for the for the meat of his career. Okay, that's that's something. I, I get you're saying like you're saying he wasn't that great offensively. You don't average 20 and eight, uh, you know, and shoot 47% from the floor by just right. being okay offensively. He was good. I mean, he was he was good. He was good. Uh, I, I just felt like there was limitations. I mean, by the way, fine, if we want to use those numbers, and I guess, again, it's this defense thing that comes in, look at Stephon Marbury's numbers for those nine to ten years. Yeah, but Stephon Marbury wasn't going to the finals. You know what I mean? That's, that's the difference. Kemp, I mean, Kemp and, and uh, our boy... Neither, neither was playoffs. Barkley. I mean, Barkley right. did even more than that you know, production-wise. Yeah, he so, did. Like, you know. it, sure, production-wise, but again, and he was not a defender. I mean, Gary Payton is known among players and, and coaches as he was a most, one of the most disruptive defenders that we've seen on the perimeter. Sure, we know Scottie Pippen's probably the best, one of the best perimeters all, uh, perimeter defenders all time. Right. Now we have Kawhi. Gary Payton, at, 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 you know, they threw on Michael Jordan and he gave Mike problems. And, you know, when Mike was still Mike. So, I was there on those games. I, I, I went back and kind of looked at it again, and I, I didn't see what people want to say, like, oh, they finally put him on in, in game four and, like, shut him down or whatever. I didn't see that. Did you? In, in 96, I, 90, whatever it is, 96? Look, it's hard for us to – like, we, we look at everything from Mike with rose-colored color glasses. I went and looked at those numbers, and Mike certainly wasn't Mike against Gary Payton. He averaged, I think, 23 or 24 points a game. When Gary was those those games, Seattle made it. They made it. They made life hard on him. All right, I'm going to go back. I, I think I even have those games. If my, if the, you know what, I have a, a external hard drive that kind of failed, and I had all these old games. I might have them still, or I'll find them. 
Uh, I'll do a video on that because I, I think it's worthy of talking about. Did Gary Payton really shut down Michael Jordan in the finals? That's a good title I, for a video. Don't, don't put no. Yeah, that's a good title because I, I didn't say shut down. But I know that he, he they they gave him he gave oh, him okay. problems. Fair enough. I mean, but that's sort of what like the meme was going on around town. So you know, at any rate, it just felt like a lot of the things they want to point to for Gary Payton uh, and all those co- sort of career numbers are just because. Come on, the, he he strung his career out for about four years there at the end where. You know, and by the way, he should, have, he should have retired. And and I was judging, you know, in L.A. here when he played that last year in L.A. or that that member when they tried to do uh, the four, uh, the four All of Famers together, and yeah. um, and it was really kind of frustrating to watch him play. And part of the okay, and I, by the way, it's biased because of the triangle offense that he refused to like either learn or run, and it was really frustrating watching him not know where to go or what to do while everyone else was like trying to move. And I get it; he played his whole career in a different kind of way, and that's you know it's hard to teach a an old dog new tricks. Uh, but that was frustrating to watch. But then again, and then he strung out the career, you know, for another five years. And anyway, so it, it's a weird thing to me because there's a lot of players in that mold. Like, like I, I remember looking at like I'm just, I'm just now watching um, old '70s footage. You know, Gus Williams of the Sonics was just like Gary Payton, just like him, and his numbers okay. are pretty similar. And yet, he's not sniffing the Hall of Fame, and he he won a title. You know, 6'2", 6'3", guard, tough, doesn't shoot that great from the outside, can kind of drive and kick a little bit, run the offense, uh, you know, can D up. Like, you know, there's a lot, I think a lot of guys like that. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. That just doesn't feel like that. And also the reason why is because you go to watch those Sonics games, and when you see Sean Kemp out there doing everything, you know, I don't know, that maybe that was the overshadowing part of it that, uh, that always impressed me more. Well, here's the thing. Sean Kemp, when he, when he got away from Gary Payton, what did Sean Kemp do? Well, he drank and he ate and... <laughs> well, my, well, my point is, he was. You can say what you want to say, but when he was on the court with Gary Payton, who's throwing him those lobs? Who's getting him those looks? Gary Payton was a. That's one. That's a. He was a. And it sounds silly. It's a small thing, but go, that's one thing I always remember. Gary Payton. He threw the the best lobs I've ever seen. Okay, well, that's interesting. I have to go back and look at those too. Well, go. He threw them. I mean, the weirdest angles. He just dribbling off. Right. You see his hand. His hand goes up. Yes. And then well, but the someone tells me if we ask GP himself, he might say, you know what, Kemp saved me on a few of those too because he could have thrown about 12 and a half feet high. It wouldn't matter. Um, That's true. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just, all I can tell you is that we go, go I, went, I, I was at all the home games in Chicago against the Sonics. And by the way, it was really funny because then you got to watch Rodman literally drive Kemp insane. In fact, I wonder if that was like the beginning of the downfall for Kemp. He literally was like muttering to himself by the end of the series. And that was probably the only reason why they won it. Because you're right, the, the Sonics started to kind of get into them and made it a problem. And Hersey Hawkins was just like a, a bad man. He, Hersey Hawkins was is better than Clay Thompson. Oh, there's well, an interesting. Now, there's Whoa. an interesting video. Hersey Hawkins. <laughs> Hersey Hawkins is a lot like Clay Thompson. So, I'll, I'll give you this. I remember Dale Ellis and Hersey Hawkins for Seattle were the two deadly snipers for them. Hurst, in his prime, was really – he was a 20-something point-a-game scorer. And he you could put he the was, ball on the ground. You think he was better than Clay Thompson, huh? I don't wow. know. I'm starting to get excited about the possibility. You know, I'm giving all away my ideas. So hopefully, Corzemba isn't watching this. But um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm looking up Percy Hawkins' numbers right now because, and also maybe I'm biased because I'm from you know Chicago and he he went to uh, Bradley nearby. By the way, did you ever see Percy Hawkins in college? I didn't. It was like Steph Curry now, or like Steph Curry whenever that first MVP. I mean, it was he and he was pulling from like inside of half court. It was insane. Um, but Hersey Hawkins is prime. Yeah, he'd average about 22, like 22 a game, it, 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 the highest he did. 22, 19, 22, so like three years. Something happened. I guess they got really good, and then he just had to supplement his, his game to the team. Um, 
But, you know, man, he didn't, you know, and he shot 40% from three in those times. You know, he never shot too many. Um, so, but man, I'm telling you, there, there's an interesting connection there. If I get enough Hersey Hawkins footage, even from college, I think you'd be surprised. I'd watch because I know he was a great shooter. He was a great, uh, really, really crafty scorer. Say, so, hey, the 96 finals, yeah. Michael Jordan, games one, two, and three, averaged 31 points, uh, you know, five rebounds, five assists, and was shooting 50% from three, uh, 46% from the floor. They threw Gary Payton on him those last three games, and Mike, they lost. They went two and three. Mike averaged 23.7 points and shot 36% from the floor. Right. They couldn't have gone two and three. I mean, they went, I'm sorry. They, went, uh, they, they won the last one. They went, two and, they went one and two those last two games. Right. So, okay. my, yeah, the Bulls were up, and then they lost yeah. two, and they, lost, they, they won the last one, one finally. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, okay. 24 points a game, 23.7 points a game for Michael Jordan for three right. games. Well, now we got to go look at the shots and see if he was guarding him and if he was contesting or what, because that's the next level, you know. It is. Uh, we'll have to find that out. But that's at least I – mean, we probably do have – I know I did have it if I can get this damn hard drive to ever work or whatever. But, um, okay. So, so fair enough. Uh, and, by the way, Hersey Hawkins, who knew we were going to spend five minutes on him or whatever we did because that was great. Um, uh, there's, you know, it, by the way, it also tells you what part of the year we're in um, right now. So, uh, such, um, a slow, such a slow time of year. Yes. Oh, and, by the way, part of the thing they want to address as well for the league is, is punishing teams for resting players on national TV. I agree with that 100%. Yes. Uh, the NBA is an entertainment league. Uh, they're, they're, that's what it's all about, right? It's all about driving revenue and views. And you can say what we want to say. We, we want teams to win championships, but it's about entertainment. People want to see the best players play. So the fact that they were arresting guys on national, you know, national TV games, it's a slap in the face. Oh, it yeah. really was. You know? So I, I'm glad that they addressed that directly. I understand it's the coach's right to rest guys when they feel like they need to. And I understand that new technology is driving it where they actually – I think that, I remember read an article where they said there was an article where Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry, just from looking at the synergy data and stuff, they were like, hey, we need to sit these guys down for a little while because they're get, they're, just the way they're moving and stuff – they're, they're becoming more prone maybe for an injury or something to happen. So curse at him down. I get it. But uh, with the new schedule, it's definitely it's right for them to, yeah. you know, now less back-to-backs. Excuse for, for resting guys for a national TV game. And I agree. And resting to me should be, okay, play them like 28 minutes instead of the 34 or whatever they're going to play. That, that to me seems like a good ex- – uh, uh, or mix. And also think about it this way. Independent of national TV, like you might have a father who wants to bring his family to a game and makes, you know, a, a modest living. He might say the whole year to buy those four tickets to a game when Steph Curry's in town and then they sit him on that game. That's devastating, right? That's like the whole year based on trying to go see that game or LeBron, whoever it is, and then they don't play because they just want to rest him. That to me is, is, where, I, is where I get the most, um, you know, uh, anger about it. I don't know, man. My thing is the NBA, go to NBA Arena, it's an experience in itself. And you should be – I get it. You're saying that's your favorite player, you want to go see him. But, I mean, you're paying to go watch the team, not really go watch a player. So I've heard plenty of stories like that. There were some people who went to go see, I think, Kevin Durant, and they flew from like Australia or something, and he didn't play that night, and they're all bummed out. It does suck. But at the same time, like, you, that onus for that is not on the player. The onus for that is not on the team. Yeah. If you, if you got to arrest a guy for that and say he has a sore quad that day, you don't, you don't say, well, you have to play 20 minutes because you have a sore quad. Fair enough, but there was one player that understood that and, and played. Who's that? Michael Jordan. He understood. 
that people came to see him and had to play every night, and that's what made him, you know, to do it. And, and he was able to do it. He's a rare bird, but still, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it just frustrates me. But hopefully the season, the way they're stretching it out. And, but I just think that don't rest them, like, completely. You know, let, let them play the 20 minutes. No, see, I don't, I don't agree with that either, Coach. If they, like, there was a game when Kyrie went to his coach, to, to Coach Lewis, and said, hey, I'm, I got dead legs today. You don't force him to go out there for 15 minutes and then sit him down. That's just that's that's almost uh, that's to the territory of dog and pony show. And you're the player. Do what I say. I don't care if you want to play or not. You know, what I mean, that, I don't like that one. I don't like uh, that one. I, I don't know. If you're going to sit him, sit him. I don't know, because to me, it's like, um, you know, in baseball, the guy, you know, they'll, they'll sit their star or whatever. And they bring him in to be a pinch hitter at the end, you know, and they'll, you know, whatever. Like, and then play in a, an inning in the outfield or something like that. Like. I don't know. It, although that's not for the express purpose of getting him in so the fans can see him, but um, it's still the notion of uh, you know you can play. I don't know. I, I, and I, people might even argue that like any kind of play is not rest, even if you cut those minutes drastically. Well, until, you know. so let's think about it because yeah, they're still going through the pregame warmups. They're still getting working themselves into a lather, get themselves sweating a little bit. The pre, so it's it's not really a rest. You know, if you come to the arena and you get ready to play, you're not resting. I mean, you know, Mike had a love of the game clause in his contract where he was allowed to play anywhere at any time. You know, he just he just wanted to play. I think, coach, you can't hold you can't hold players to the standard of the greatest player of, of that we've ever seen. You know what I mean? Mike was a physical freak already. Mike could go out and party till three in the morning and play at noon and still destroy you. Mike right. is just a different kind of he's a different kind of thing. So that's not really fair to say. Well, Michael Jordan did it. Why can't these guys do it? Okay, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I, all right, all right, fine. From that end, I won't I won't argue that that point as much. But how about the you know, ask any of those guys from that era about this whole notion of the more I play offense, the harder I play on offense, the less I can play on defense. And is it that's mean, an Char- accepted hey, Char- thing? Charles, Charles Barkley did that. Uh, Barkley wasn't like a, a negative defender. He was okay. Yes, he was. No, no. Oh, this one, we, I'll fight you to death about this one. I've watched enough on Barkley. Barkley was an Olay defender. He'd get a, a glamour block every now and then, or he'd just get a, a be in his bonnet one night and just be really, really? physical and throw himself around. But for the most part, Charles Barkley – he, he would kind of dust your shoes off as you went by and say, hey, go ahead, get that layup. Because he was my trying to get back to the other end. My mind's eye is not revealing anything to me thinking about it. Because, you know, it never, he never, like, stood out to me. But uh, I'll, I'll have to go back. Show me, some, show me the footage, and, I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll believe you. Which, by the way, got me into this inane argument on Twitter with some guy about Scottie Pippen's defense. He, I saw that. And that he wanted ridiculous. to say that Scottie was a really bad, bad catch-and-shoot defender. And I don't understand how that is, how you can parse that out. And so he wouldn't guard guys like that. Is okay. he didn't guard like Glenn I'm, Rice? Or- I'm going to go on a little, a little rant for you right now and for everybody listening. Not even a rant. There are people who come on social media on Twitter. And oh. you, got, you have a few hundred thousand followers. How many followers do you have? You got, is like it 75, 82,000 followers? You're a big you're an influencer on social media as far as the basketball Twitter, okay. right? And, 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 you know, people know me. I'm kind of well-known. There are people, they don't care what they say. They will say anything to get you engaged in a conversation of more than back and, of going back and forth. The fact that you are adding that person and, and mentioning them on Twitter, that, and I'm not even joking. We're not celebrities. We're nobody. We're just, we talk basketball, me and you. But there are people, I, I see it coming, and I'll say, okay, I see what's going on. You, just, you want attention right now. Because right. what kind of ridiculous argument is that? Scotty Pippen was a great defender. He couldn't defend catch and shoots. What are you, who are talking about i don't know 
It's, and so, I've never heard. I was really intrigued because I'm like, I've never actually. I mean, I've heard about. Oh, he gets blown by on, on ball defending. I've heard like weak side defending, having problems getting beat. I had never really even heard the conception of like, you know, and that's why he wouldn't guard Reggie Miller. Because, and by the way, the context of it was, <laughs> it, we, I found this really interesting play where Reggie hits the shot in Chicago Stadium uh, to go up. It was a tie game to go up by two, like a foot in the line, uh-huh. and they had Steve Kerr on him, and they had Scottie Pippen on Derek McKee at the top, and they ran a floppy. And it was like, so my question was, why wouldn't they just, you know, you know that Reggie Miller is going to shoot the ball. You know they're going to run a floppy set for him. Why are you wasting Scottie Pippen on the point guard up top? And then, you know, Amin Al Hassan was like, well, because if you put Kerr on Derek McKee, he's just going to go at him. I'm like, great. Their whole play is designed for a floppy for for, uh, for um, Reggie, Miller. Reggie Miller. And now you just invited them to, like, completely destroy that play and, like, get Derek McKee trying to, like, break a guy down off a dribble from the top. From like you know top of the circle, like great, please do that. Like I would say, go right ahead. Um, right. At any rate, um, it, it, that's what led to that whole weird thing where it was like all oh, like Phil Phil hid him. He was hiding him. On, he would never put him on those kind of players because of that. It's like, I mean, I can do a whole thing on. He destroyed Glenn Rice for several of those years. But then you talk about Bird. He'd play and he'd do well later after Bird. Bird got hey, hurt coach, a little bit. But. Coach, you got you got trolled. Yeah, I got trolled. trolled. You're right. Yeah. It's called trolling, and you're right. I, you forget. We're, this is the dog days of the summer. This is how bad it is, right? That you forget what's going on here. Thank God for the mute button when the mute button works. <laughs> um, so, yes. Mute. Mute. You, I, you don't block people? No. Oh, Not anymore. Oh, you're missing out. That's a, that's a great feeling. My block yeah. list is probably 3,000 people long by now, at least. At wow. least. I might have 5,000 people blocked easily. Wow. Easily. I, I, might have, I, might be, I might have blocked like 10 or 15. But, um, and it got, that's only because it was really bad. But free your soul, coach. Free your, free your soul. People could, I can, somebody can have the wrong shirt on. I'm just not in the mood. I'll block them. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Or I'll tell somebody. I'll say, hey, man, conversation over. And they'll be like, but what about? And I'll block them. Like permanent or you never go back and prune it? Oh, like no, that. no, no. They're gone. Oh, I, I was thinking about going back to my block list and like maybe unblocking everybody again and see what happens. No, that's a bad idea. Just let them let them let them rot. All right. All right. All right. Well, good to know. One to grow on. So we're <laughs> we're helping everybody out here on their social media. So, uh, well, listen, a great conversation and really uh, some very surprising turns that we took here that were really great. Uh, it's the dog days of the season, and we uh, we talked about like Hersey Hawkins and. Blocking people on Twitter, so that's where we are right now. Yeah, Tracy McGrady, Hall of Famer. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. You know what? We missed on that, huh? Yeah, hands down. He hands down. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, it's his prime wasn't as long as he wanted it to be, but I think at his absolute highest, he was one of the best in the game. Yeah. Like if you extra, if you extrapolate Tracy McGrady and his prime out to you know a twelve year career, we're talking one of the best who's ever played statistically. And I get it. He had his 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 foibles in the playoffs, right? That's right. that's his big that's a big knock on him. And it's it's you know hey when you're building a resume talking about Hall of Fame, I that's it's a black mark I get it you know it's a red mark you know so uh, but Tracy McGrady when we we watched him uh, I think at his best him and Vince Carter at their best were right there you know maybe a half step behind Kobe Bryant in his prime. Well, I I, yeah, and and yeah. really briefly, I had never I've never seen a pro score easier than than Tracy McGrady, just like effortless. And just the smooth, Effortless. and just like, and it's forty points, and you're like, what? Like, you know, I have never seen anyone. Maybe George Gervin was a little bit more like that too, in, in a different position. Um, but yeah, how about and, how about Kevin Durant? 
But by the way, this 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 speaks to the arbitrariness of like length of career getting you into the playoffs or into the Hall of Fame. Gail Sayers played seven years, the Bears, and like made it because he was so good. But he only he only played seven years. It's like, and then we well, he's got to play X amount. Well, maybe we should start getting some criteria for the Hall of Fame finally. That like there are some minimums you got to hit. But who did you just ask me about? How about Kevin Durant as far as scoring oh. easily? Yeah, uh, you know, Durant's like jump shot doesn't unfold as smoothly. It's in my mind. Like it just seemed like everything was just like it was just up and out and whatever. Durant has like a little bit of a cross the body thing and whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's something there. Durant might be more like arms and elbows and and you know, um, herky jerky, right? A little bit. Um, but my point is like he falls out of bed and he has 20 points. It's like in the flow of the game, you think Kevin Durant's having a bad game. You look up, he has he has 29. Yeah, that's, that's like that. Yeah, I can hear you. Right. And it's not like like Michael, for instance. Cause Michael, you know, they're loud. They're loud 35 points. Like, you're, you, you're like, you know about it. People are For the being, most part, yeah. When Mike, when Mike gets it going, yeah, when Mike gets it going, he gets it going. Kevin Durant had that same thing. When he's going, he's rolling. But then for the, he can just kind of yeah. play in the background. You think, oh, KD didn't have a good game. You look at it, he has 32 for the night. Right. So, anyhow, well, listen, I have no problem. For whatever problem I might have had with, with uh, Peyton being in the Hall of Fame, I certainly don't have a problem with McGrady and, uh, and anybody else, I suppose. But we've we got to get some sort of criteria just so I understand what it is. I think everybody, for every sport, wants that, too. I think baseball, they're really confused. You know what? Tracy McGrady was so amazing for it's such a short time of his prime. 2001 to 2008, he averaged 26, uh, 26 points, 6 rebounds, and almost 6 assists a game. He yeah. did it all. He wasn't a strong three-point shooter, 34% about league average from three, uh, but he got him up. You know, he was a volume scorer, shot 22 times a night. But I mean, right. what do you? He he, he carry a team, and he can play a little defense. He didn't take he didn't take more than three and a half threes a game, did he? Uh, no, during that prime there, he was taking almost five. Oh, he was. During okay, that, he got oh, the five. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, well, you know, but then again, the, the the offenses themselves were not necessarily generating good threes as much as they do now. So that's the other thing. So uh, I'm sure he probably took hardly any corner threes. Um, you know, and that kind of stuff. So that, he, that, probably that's a lot of, he probably took a lot of contested off the dribble threes, you know, had to create for himself. So 34% is not bad at all. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah. Hey, well, good he stuff. was amazing, well, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me again on a, on a Friday and uh, looking forward to where, you know, the, the countdown's begun. We're getting into that, like, what, like 40, 50 days left until the season? I'm thinking we're under 40. I think we're at 30, like 37 now, like five weeks out. Crazy, we're almost crazy. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Me too. All right, brother. Well, Thanks for coming on the show today, and uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You win. You win, James. Hey, Coach. You know I'm in.